This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. is up everybody hello and welcome to the first ever episode 46 of the best seats podcast i am your host crawford mccarthy and as always this is the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented folks in and around the southern california hospitality industry orange county los angeles san diego wherever and beyond each and every episode i'm the founder of the best seats you can find me on instagram at the best seats at a c-e-a-t-s Thank you, as always, to my friend Allie Coyle for providing music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. And as a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review. It helps other folks find it. Whoo, 46. I am excited about this one. Um, this is a special one for me. And before I tell you who it is, thank you, as always, to the sponsors for this episode, HireLilo.com and HeirloomPotage.com. But enough of that. Blake Melgren, chef owner of Craft House, is my guest for episode 46. Um, this is a special one for me. When I first got into food media, freelance writing for magazines, um, Blake was actually the first person I ever interviewed. And I've known his restaurant, Craft House, for a while. I love his food. I love his energy. I love his drinks. I love how ingratiated he is into the Dana Point community. Um, he's just a guy that wants to make good food give people a good time, and he's not really apologetic about how he goes about it. You know, when 2020 happened and this shut down, you know, he opened his restaurant, his parking lot, his kitchen for us to partner with Heritage Barbecue and do the OC Smoke Kitchen drive through for out-of-work hospitality workers. He was one of the first people in Orange County to set up an outdoor dining alfresco patio, um, a patio that made him, you know, land on Forbes and things like that for his creativeness. He just keeps going. He's a fascinating guy because, you know, so many restaurateurs, there's so many kind of more ethereal reasons that they want to work. There's so many people that talk about the art of food and things like that. And that's all well and justified. Blake is very, and I mean this in the best way possible, simple in the fact that he just wants to provide a damn good meal, a couple damn fine drinks and give you a damn fine time. That's a respectable, respectable quality. I love his restaurant. I love this guy's vibe. I love his energy. Being able to sit down with him, long overdue interview. Again, like I said, he was the first guy I ever interviewed. Known him for a couple of years at this point. I have no idea why it took me 46 episodes to sit down with him, but I am so glad I did. He could not be a nicer guy. He could not be a better representation of the pureness of what hospitality is. I adore his restaurant. Like I said, you're going to adore it after you listen to this one. I got no more words. You heard enough out of me. Let's hear something out of him. Episode 46 of the Best Seats Podcast, chef owner of Craft House in Dana Point, Blake Melgren. Enjoy.
Blake, thank you for taking the time to sit down in what I can't imagine is a prettier spot to do this, doing being down here at kind of Strands and Dana Point, um, getting a nice venue before you got to jump back into the restaurant and work today. Um, I have no idea why it took me so long to sit down with you and get a <laughs> recording, considering how long at this point I've known you um, in this kind of so-called career that I'm trying to do. For people that may not be familiar with you or your restaurant, though, would you mind taking a second and introducing yourself, uh, the restaurant, and a little bit of your background? Yeah. Um, my name is Blake Mulgren. I'm the chef and owner at Craft House in Dana Point. Um, let's see, we've been there for five years now. Um, kind of new American farm-to-table cuisine. Huge whiskey list, craft cocktails, local beers. Um, so that's kind of like what we do there. I mean, I worked, you know, I started working in restaurants when I was 16, thanks to a speeding ticket. And my parents were like, well, you're paying for that one. <laughs> so I started working as a host in front of the house through high school and then got into the kitchen. Um, 2010 up at Shea Melangerie Dondo. Um, worked from a kid with no experience up to sous chef there. And then uh, moved out to New York and worked uh, at the Modern for just over a year, like shy of a year and a half, um, and then came home and did the whole build out and everything for the restaurant. So I was two years there. So, so we're recording this episode March eighteenth. Um, depending on when you're listening to it, it is released a little bit after that. Um, we're recording this literally just about a week away from the five year celebration of Craft House. What was that feeling like for you to kind of be able to have that night? You know, obviously people outside you know, distant kind of save the whole nine yards. But after everything that's happened, you know, we're two days away from the one year anniversary of the shutdown of OC restaurants. What was that feeling like for you to be able to celebrate five years? It was, I don't know. It was just like a complete mix of feelings. Cause like a year ago when the shutdown happened, like I never knew if we were going to get to open the doors again. I mean, luckily, you know, we did, we didn't miss a day. They shut us down St. Patty's day and we were open you know, a year ago today for takeout and takeout only. So, I mean, we did all we could, but I had, I was nervous a year ago and like, well, I think, you know, maybe the ride's over due to this pandemic and, you know, to be able to celebrate five years, it was, I was ecstatic, but I was, and, you know, to have invited all of our regulars in and kind of those that are key to our success over the last five years. It was just like the coolest feeling to see everybody like together. And like, you know, at the end of the day, we're a local community restaurant. That's kind of our basis, kind of that cheers aspect of things. So to have all that, I was just, it was overwhelming because, you know, the numbers for five years aren't that good for restaurants. So <laughs> yeah, to be able to get to kind of that big benchmark was definitely a sign of, you know, accomplishment. And it was, it was just, really just, I don't even, I don't even think I've taken the time to really sit with it yet and like kind of quantify how cool it is to make it to that point, especially given the last year. You mentioned it right when you started the answer, how you got shut down one day and then the next day you immediately were doing takeout. Craft House as a whole was sort of a guiding light for a lot of people on what was achievable, what people needed to do to, and again, I hate the word, but there's no way to not use it, pivot. Um, and kind of transition. You know, you were one of the first people doing takeout. Like you said, you were one of the first people who I think were jumping on the you know cocktail to go train, um, the you know kind of collaboration event with Heritage Barbecue, um, and then ultimately your outside seating, which you know made Forbes and a bunch of other lists, and really was one of the first outdoor patios that kind of Austin style, you know, yeah. fresco, whatever it was. Was it just natural you to just kind of keep doing these things? Were you getting inspiration from other places? Because you were you were consistently one of the first restaurants doing this. Yeah, I mean, 
So you shut know. down 17th and, you know, I call my sous chef at the time and I'm like, hey, dude, let's go head into the restaurant like 11, 1 o'clock. We'll kind of take an inventory of what we have in house and we'll figure out and we'll launch takeout tomorrow. And he's like, dude, if I'm getting out of bed and I'm coming into the restaurant, like I'm working. So if I'm coming in, we're doing takeout today and we'll kind of piece it together from there. And I, you know, selfishly, I was like, I just want a day off after yesterday. Like this was such a, <laughs> a lot mind of melt, you know, like with everything going on. So, and then that's just kind of how it all adapted and changed. Like it was like, all right, we got to be here for the community. We got to do what we can do to get by. And, you know, whether it's an email popping up from somebody and like, oh, you can do this now or, oh, you can do that now. I was like, all right, we can do it. So let's figure out how to do it. So, you know, being there for the community and I mean, doors open keeps you relevant. That was kind of our whole ethos through the whole thing. Like if we take a day off or we kind of sit back and relax, we're going to be forgotten about, or at least there's the opportunity to be forgotten um, by the community. So it was just like, keep it going. And then, you know, we ran through all of our old inventory with the takeout menus. And then it was like, all right, most of our food doesn't really travel well. It's all fresh, a lot of seafood, um, things like that. And I was like, we were like, none of it travels well. So let's just start creating food that travels well. So the food is ultimately as good as it can be in a box because everybody knows you can sit down in a restaurant and the food's amazing. And then you happen to order it for takeout and you're like, oh, that's a little underwhelming. Like yeah. I had the same thing two weeks ago in the restaurant and it was the best dish I've ever had. Like, it's like, yeah, sat for 30 minutes like of course it's gonna not be there so that was kind of a holy mentality is like food drinks once they opened up drinks to go it was like we know this will get people through the pandemic yeah. and being stuck at home so let's get the booze going like without back i mean our uh, liquor license attorney he had sent like a mass email out like abc's looking to open up patio and sidewalk dining and it was right. on the phone i called him right away i was like what's the deal on this he's like you need a permit for it I can help you with that. Go do your thing. And he's like, they're not really super staunch on the rules. I just came up with it yesterday. So, you know, give a drawing of it, show where it's going to be cordoned off that people, you know, it's not completely open. Yeah. So Uh that was a long time. And I was like, okay, we'll just buy stuff. And then Matt, my sous chef at the time was just like, I'll build it. Like, like, that's fun for me. I'm like, all right, cool. Like you want to build stuff, go ahead. So yeah, it took from when we got the email to when we had it about done, it was like two weeks. Yeah, and I should note, like, for people that haven't seen it, obviously you can check it out on your social media if they if people have not been in person. I know some people that listen are out of state, so they definitely haven't been. Um, it's pretty damn impressive that it was just you and your sous chef that did the entire thing, and now it's become kind of a staple of the restaurant. I mean, you increased your seating. There's only a couple other people I've talked to that were like, yeah, we gained seats. Yeah, like, I mean, it... It was crazy. It was a parking lot. So like, yeah. to me, I'm like, okay, yeah, we need parking, blah, blah, blah. And then like to have it turned on its head and be like, oh, I can put seats out here. I can take care of everybody. Like we can be back to normal. And I think we reopened, we were up like 10, 12 seats. And it was like, oh, all right, cool. Like we're back to normal. Like let's rock and roll. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was and like when Open Table hit me up for like the New York Times thing, I was like, like would you be interested in New York Times article about your <laughs> no, back patio? I was, terrible. Like, <laughs> I was like, no, absolutely not. I have no desire to do that. Yeah, I was like, of course, like, let's go. But yeah, it was just, how can we just keep it going and keep the ball rolling? And that was, it was funny. Like one of my regulars the other night was dude, they should do like a case study on like how you went through the pandemic. And I was talking to Niaz about it. And I was like, dude, it's, there's no case study to be done. It's like, we're here for the community. And as long as you followed your principles and was like, 
and you looked after the community and it's mm-hmm. not about all right, how much money can I make, you know, kind of, I think what 50% of the people that get into restaurants are like, Oh, it's an easy business. Like you can make quick money. It's like, no, it's the worst business for that, but go, go, go and be there for everybody. And this last year has been tough on everybody. So I think it was the Orange County Register, I think, uh, just came out with an article interviewing a couple of restaurateurs. Um, and I want to say it was the team from the winery restaurant group. And they were talking about how I think a lot of people moving forward and, and uh, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing this, are going to talk about how they rethink their design of restaurants. You know, if we knew what we knew now, would we have more outdoor dining? Would we have done this? What would we have changed? Craft House, it, correct me if I'm wrong, was basically a ground up build out. This wasn't another building that you kind of turned into a restaurant. I mean, this whole thing kind of Am I wrong in that? Did it come? I mean, it was yeah, a bit yeah, of a yes refabrication. No. Yeah, it was the history uh, lesson I've gotten over the last five years from the community has been hilarious. So everything's, you know, a little askew and I don't know the exact details on it. But it was a restaurant in the definitely the 70s and 80s. Could have been even earlier than that. It was the Harbor Inn. Um, and then it became I, a dive bar, I think, of the same name in like the 80s and 90s. And I've heard crazy stories from when it was that. But, and then it was a carpet store. So like zoning wise, if you leave 50%, you don't have to rezone. We're like, sweet. Looking, looking back at the space now with what you know now, um, would you have changed anything design wise? No, I think we're very lucky to have the foresight with the whole front of the restaurant, you know, being on sliding doors and Mm -hmm. that can all open up the front patio, having like the hopper windows up high. Like, I mean, we got our ABC warning call, you know, probably a month ago now. And they were like, you know, indoor dining, blah, blah. I was like, well, I just need some clarification on the bar. Like the whole front of the restaurant's open this. And me and the ABC agent had a delightful back and forth at 530 on a Saturday evening in the middle of service. And I was just like, he's like, well, I can come down and do a site visit and kind of give you like the for sure's on. I was like, I would greatly appreciate that. Just I want to follow the rules, but. Yeah, the rules are always changing and morphing, and I don't know what's right and wrong. And then they fluid came, would be an understatement. Yeah, yeah, they came down and were like, "All right, yeah, you know, your bars and outdoor patio and our eyes and stuff like that." So it was, you know, obviously there was a lot of protective language used and you know whatnot. But I mean, the bar's been greenlit for over a month before indoor dining was allowed again. They were like. Windows open, doors open, you guys are good to go. So it's so funny looking at every single space because people walk around and and the general consensus is people are trying to figure out, you know, what's what, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? Especially and removing the politics from it. It is the fact that every single space is different. You look around at a lot of them and it doesn't really make sense. And the fact is, is that it's almost refreshing to hear you say, oh, it doesn't really make sense to us either, but they said it was okay. So we're going to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how we've operated. Like, for the last year, it's like, they say it's okay, we're going to do it. Yeah. And if it's kind of in that gray area, we'll move forward with it. We'll check in with them, make sure we're by the books. And as long as they say it's okay, let's go for it. Because, like, that was the big crux in, like, the talk with the ABC guy on the phone. He was like, well, you know, tents have to have two sides of ventilation. And I was like, my building has two sides of ventilation. So if, if we're talking about airflow, like, we're good to go, right? And he's like, well, we'll have to check it out, you know. It's been crazy. And I mean, like, I laugh. The like, old TGI Fridays off uh, Greenfield and Crown Valley right there. Yep. Um, Frida's, I think, is what's going in there now. But, like, you saw them, like, they were starting construction in the middle of the pandemic. Everything was going, and then it just halted all of a sudden. And then, like, I drove back a few months later, and, the, like, all the sides of the building had now turned to, like, roll-up doors. And I was like... Oh, completely. Oh, it, it, I, I'm 
pretty sure. I mean, I could be mistaken, but just from the eye, it looked like. No, I, I live in that area. I know the exact building you're talking about. It was nothing but frames and wood for so many months. And now it's an almost finished, like I want to say it's a, a Mexican eatery or something mm. like that with like a snooze, you know, breakfast diner on the other side. But it's the same thing. You're like, oh, that's different looking now. Yeah. Like it's all changed. And I wonder if that design philosophy is going to change going forward permanently for some restaurants. Well, I mean, we even like, you know, we've been so lucky through this and we we're going to kind of build out the back patio and make it kind of a, well, hopefully make it a permanent structure back there. And like, that's the whole thing. It's like, everything's roll up doors, every, like it's covered, but that's about the only thing that's yeah. different, you know? So yeah, it's roll up everything. I want to talk about. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. The last year provided so many challenges for restaurant owners. Now that they're finally getting a chance to open their doors again to the public, it can only be an exciting thing. However, some of those challenges still remain, like hiring new staff after having to let go of them for almost an entire year. That's where Hire Lilo comes in. Custom built from the ground up by hospitality professionals, Hire Lilo is your destination for restaurant hiring. Applicants can create resumes on the site, set up meetings, use the virtual messaging system to communicate with potential hirees, and more. Restaurants also have a multitude of options to choose from, including selecting mandatory shifts for specific positions, and more. The website is easy to use and is a perfect build-out for the hospitality industry. None of the other fancy stuff are trying to compete with every other industry on the planet for new hires. As I said, it is hospitality-specific, making it your destination for hiring Using the promo code STAYSTRONG, all one word, you can create a free job posting today and start to fill those hiring voids. Hire Lilo provides on-site help. They'll sit down and make sure that your restaurant is set up and properly ready to go and that you can utilize all the features Hire Lilo offers. To learn more or to create an account and get job posting now, go to HireLilo.com. That's H-I-R-E-L-I-L-O.com. Once again, that's HireLilo.com. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloompotager.com. I want to talk about um, Craft House itself. So kind of full transparency for people listening. And this is just kind of a fun way to bring back my history with you is you were the very first chef I inter ever interviewed when I got into ever, food ever? media. Ever, ever. Yeah. Really? I have no idea who was running the show at, I think it was locale at the yeah. time, but I basically, they basically were like, we're looking for freelance writers. I said, well, I want to change a career. And they set me up with an interview with you. 
And it was the definition of like terrified imposter syndrome, <laughs> like, boy, I hope I don't fuck this up. But one of the things you said always stuck, and it was that when you started Craft House, you kind of looked at Dana Point as kind of a culinary desert. There wasn't much. It was very kind of chainy. It was very samey. It was incredibly predictable. Yeah. Driving up the PCH, you know, past Craft House to come to this interview today, all the apartments going in, you know, the restaurants that have opened recently, you know, a lot of them I've done podcasts with, whether it's, you know, kind of Daniel Kuhn down at Maison, you know, Rob Wilson at Glass Bar, the guys at mm -hmm. Whitestone. It's changed a lot. Now that you've, yeah. you know, again, we're still technically in the middle of this pandemic. Vaccines are rolling out. Numbers mm -hmm. are, you know, are going down. What does the future of Craft House kind of look? And what does that Dana Point landscape look like from a restaurant perspective? I mean, it's, you know, you figure, you, you know, you list, three other great restaurants in town, things are starting to change, things are starting to evolve. And, you know, the average person be like, that's more competition. That's probably bad for business. But like for the restaurant business, it's one of the weirdest things where it's like the more competition you have, the more you thrive. It, yeah. I don't, you know, obviously there's some psychology elements to it. Like you're going to be grinding harder because you have competition, but at the same time, like, you know, the place across the street's busy. So they're going to come over to you. And like, it, it's a kind of synergy, synergistic, industry in that regard a high but tide kind of raises all ships exactly basically. yeah so i mean we got super lucky to kind of be in on the forefront of the redevelopment of dana point um, like that's what I, I mean i don't know if the deal's still on but uh God, why am i blanking on his name the dude the chef from dallas that's going in at the marriott oh um john cesar yeah yeah Tazar. yeah Tazar's place is supposed yeah. to be going in there yeah so like to see him come to town and then to have him show up at the restaurant one day for dinner like for a meeting and I'm like, I have like a dude that's legendary. That's been on like top chef, like top chef. He's got a great report. Like what the hell he's in my restaurant. Like, yeah. So it like the evolution of Dana point is so exciting. 200 and something units of a few hundred more residents walking distance. Like the growth is great. The Harbor is going to get redeveloped here soon. And Riviera did a piece. I don't, I want to say it was like probably about 10 years ago now, but like it was like entitled like a drive down PCH and it kind of took a jab in like the opening paragraph of Dana point where it's like freeway exits and like mishmash and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, you don't necessarily, you're not wrong in that Dana point really took it to heart. And it's like, all right, let's evolve. Let's mm -hmm. kind of work towards that. Our next evolution, I guess that kind of grow, final growing up phase for them and what's coming. It's like, it's so exciting to see, ultimately Townie used to drive through to go to Laguna and get a good meal. Like you get to actually stop like three minutes off the freeway instead of 25 minutes off the freeway. Yeah. It's no longer just the, the Harbor in between San Clemente and Laguna beach. Yeah. It's very much evolved. You know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier on was how much you just wanted to kind of help the community and that you very much see craft house as a part of the community. Um, you know, my godmother lived in Dana point, you know, God rest her soul for, I think it was 30 some odd years. She moved out here from the East coast. So, I mean, I've, walked this beach since I was a little kid, you know, I've peed in the ocean right there. Mm -hmm. uh, As <laughs> so we all have, yeah. I, you know, I, I feel kind of a kindred spirit to that of it's nice to see it evolve itself and still maintain kind of its charms and things like that. How important is that to you to be a part of that community, even as it evolves and, and be there to kind of keep that foundation and keep kind of the core of what Dana Point is? Well, I mean, I think that's what makes Dana Point cool or I should say, at least in my opinion, like cooler than like a Newport, a Laguna, somewhat San Clemente. Like it's Dana Point, San Clemente. They're at the end of the day, just laid back, comfortable, casual beach towns. There's, you know, obviously there's like a level of opulence that's kind of coming to Dana Point. You know, 
where we're sitting, things like that. Like there is some wealth and kind of that, I hate to use the word, but like kind of pretension that comes with it that mm. I feel like Newport, like that's like it's cornerstone. Like we're wealthy. It's a little pretentious here. Like, are you even welcome? Yeah. You know, and, but Dana points, not that it's a very local, you know, almost old school to some extent you would kind of say almost like maybe like a Midwestern feel like where you help your neighbor out. Like you need something. I got you. I got it. Don't worry. What do I do for that? Oh, it's good. We're what was the relationship like, uh, the relationship like in the restaurant community when kind of everything was going on these, you know, this past year, were you in contact with other restaurateurs trying to talk to people like, Hey, what are you doing? Like what's working for you? Yeah, I mean, like we have, I mean, like pretty much every restaurant owner in town's in a group text where, you know, like I just got one the other day, like, Hey, I, we got reweight listed again for the California grant. Like, where does everybody else stand on this? Like, so we're all very communicative um, with everything. You know, I would say in the first maybe year to two of the restaurant, it was very much like you do you, I do me. Like, we don't really help each other yeah. type thing. But definitely as the town started to evolve and grow and more chefs and more restaurants are coming to town, it's definitely turned into a very much more like community thing. Like, you know, a year ago I was sitting there and I was reaching out to a handful of the owners like, Hey, do you know what's, what's on the horizon? Like, let's talk. And you know, it's, it's great, you know, to have the former mayor of town be on the board of supervisors and kind of have a, a direct line in to be able to kind of what's, what's the board of supervisors doing? What's going on? So like, yeah. And that regardless, it's like, this is my area. This is my district, whatever, however the breakdown is in the government. I don't, really follow that stuff all that much but you know lisa bartlett's always available like you shoot her a text it may take her a little bit but she's always back to you with an answer and it's like all right this is where we're going with this or you know it looks like the numbers are going to be good to go into the next year but who knows or we're going the other direction you know so it's it's nice to have the community you know you know in terms of the city officials the local um county officials like everybody's out there helping you out and comfortable. We're here for you town. You compared craft house earlier to kind of a cheers type of vibe. Um, your restaurant's a very fascinating one. Every time I've been there and I don't know if I'm just getting really lucky or maybe something is hiding behind those, the sliding doors to the kitchen. It never seems, even when you guys are busy, even when it was pre COVID, you know, BC is people like to say now, I think, <laughs> I think the world kind of took that one from Jesus. Sorry. Now BC is before COVID. Um, even if you guys were in the weeds, it never looks like anything's going wrong at Craft House. I mean, it, it, are you just really good at hiding when shit might be on fire or is it just kind of a testament <laughs> to your attitude in the kitchen and like the team that you kind of have with you and or just the vibe of the restaurant? It just, it never looks like something's on fire. Oh, you have <laughs> to hear that because I swear there is a fire every day and yeah. everybody's like, oh dude, like what a bad shift or whatever. And then like, I'm like, hey guys, at the end of the day, if we've done our job right, no one has any idea all the problems we're running into. Like, and I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you know, everybody's personality wise, whether it's the bartenders, the servers, the bussers, the host stand, it doesn't matter. Everybody is super like friendly and kind with the guests. And we're, you know, the whole thing, it's like, I tell them all like, be transparent. Yeah. Okay. The entrees are 20 minutes and we're still 10 minutes out because we had a big party. Like go over and tell them, hey. I'm so sorry there was a big party or whatever. Food will be up in just a few minutes. You know, just tell them if we make a misstep, just be honest with it. If you're like, oh, it'll be up in two minutes and it's up in 20 minutes. Well, 
you just pissed them off. Yeah. You lied about 18 minutes of their time. Like they're electing to come here. Like we need to, if we have a mistake, be transparent. Like last night we had somebody get a butter cake with raspberry on the side. Misread the ticket, raspberry on it. That's an, now they waited 20 to 25 minutes for dessert instead of 10. So it's like, you know, go let them know, Hey, we screwed up. We're so sorry. Just own it. That's the biggest thing. And I mean, the crew we have right now is like, I mean, I say this, I feel like almost every year it's like, Oh, I got the best crew ever. And then like we make changes and then it's like, Oh, this crew's amazing. And it's like, we just keep getting better and better over the years. And, you know, I always think chefs and especially chefs who are chef owners, they always kind of sound like NFL head coaches. Like in preseason, you're like, hey, you know, how are those first four games? Oh, we're going to have a great year, heck of a staff, heck of a team, really excited for this. And it's always kind of that evolving thing. Um, this past week, I think especially with us moving into tears here in Orange County anyway and stuff opening, um, I've been inundated with messages about, hey, if you know anybody, you know, we're looking for X, Y, and Z. You know, we're looking for this. We're looking for this. Everybody's rehiring. What was the process like for you to kind of put this team together? Because yours came together relatively quickly as things continued to kind of open to kind of come to the staff that you have now. What's the, what's it been like finding people to kind of jump into your team? I mean, I've, you know, somewhat given up on people sending in resumes and stuff like that, or like dropping off things. It's like with everybody I have right now, it's somebody on my team has worked with them at some point in time, you know, would, is willing to put their neck out there for them. It's like, no, this person's solid. They're going to come in, they'll fit in. It's going to be great. And then I even have some people. I'm like, hey, okay, we need to add some people. They're like, I have a couple people, but like, eh. Like, <laughs> like they're good. They just won't fit in with our culture or yeah. whatever. So it's like I've kind of just relied on my staff to bring in people that they know that fit within the team and in the system. And, I mean, that was, you know, with the secondary shutdown through the holidays and all that other stuff, it was like I can't lay – people off again and I you know looked at it like all right we're probably going to be super slow and like the restaurant will take a hit for the team to make sure everybody has a job and everybody gets through the holidays and then you know joys of being you know one of six restaurants open in town you're cranking every day and I'm like oh yeah oh yeah this was way different than I expected (laughs) you know we had loaded heavy on everything for like takeout and things like that and then it was like late November December through that shut you know, that holiday shutdown, it was like three to 5% of our business via takeout. Okay. No one's listening. Like everybody's down to eat out. Everybody's kind of feel the dreams (laughs) approach, like feel that they will come. Like you want to do this? Sure. Go ahead. Like that's kind of how we've approached it. It's like, we're going to follow the rules. We're to the best of our abilities. But at the end of the day, like if you guys want to dine in, whatever you guys want to do, we'll be here for you. You talked early on in um, this episode about how you had to change up what kind of food you were doing basically and how it packages. Because obviously when you're doing to go, it, it, you know, you're right. You can do a great, you know, swordfish plated up everything else, but you're not plating anymore. You're packaging. Yeah. Has this changed your relationship kind of with food at all this past year? Like what you cook kind of menu design, things like that a little bit. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, the first three months, of the shutdown and everything. It was like, everybody wants comfort food. And that's kind of what we've always done. Like I, I always lean super Southern or like Asian, like something that kind of got that comfort food feel to it. Like 
yes, it, it'll be plated elegantly. It'll be, you know, there'll be a lot of depth of flavor. But at the end of the day, it's it's down home kind of country food. And to me, like that's, I think, what's kind of everybody, you know, it's, it's a hug from grandma via mm-hmm. a plate of food. So that's kind of always been our approach on things. And that's kind of where it's like, oh, yeah, comfort food hits well through a pandemic. It hits well outside of it. Yeah, maybe a little, le- you know, like our fishermen, it's hard for them to get off the docks right now because yeah. there's not a ton of restaurants open and fuels through the roof. So they're like, yeah, you know, fishing's not that great. Um, we're just not going to go burn fuel to burn fuel. And then, you know, whatever I was like, so yeah, I mean, having to kind of find different channels to get product and things like that has been interesting, but I mean, and then also with being up seats in the restaurant, like it's like, okay, we don't necessarily have the ability to do these elegant 15 component, you know, exactly plated dishes you know we don't have time for tweezer food like yeah it's got to be efficient we got to be fast you know how do we simplify everything for efficiency and like you know you like when i got like you know i love like the smaller spot where you get that tweezer food and it's all crazy and elegant and you, you don't even want to eat it because it's so beautiful and then like you know you go to like a javier's or like some big spot and then it's just like same stuff slightly changed and it's to your table in 10 minutes and you're like, what the hell? Yeah, how you're like, they- how? How are these ticket times yeah. humanly possible? How did they cook a steak to mid... Like, how how do they have me to temp and ready to go and it food's on the table in 12 minutes? Like, that's insane. Yeah. So, and then like, so that's definitely kind of changed, you know, in expanding with seats and everything. Like, how we think about it, it's like, okay, now I see why they do that. It's not really because they want to it's because that's the only way they can be efficient within the system so it's definitely changed some of our crazy like super elegant tight you know artsy plates are like well certain stations have the ability to do that but the hotline like just get it on the plate just crank it out get it to temp sell it make sure they're happy so yeah yeah, it's it's definitely created a much more efficient line of thinking for me when it comes to food what are some things that have and and the answers for this question are kind of they've consistently recently always been the same. What are some things that changed during 2020 for restaurants along the lines of like t- cocktails to go and outdoor dining that you hope stick around permanently? And then has there been anything that we lost kind of during 2020 that you do hope kind of stays? I mean, honestly, the outdoor dining, the to go cocktails, all of that, yeah. I, I, I absolutely already, I already knew the answer like, when I asked. It, that's everybody's. Yeah. It's like one of those, like, it opened up new revenue streams for us that we didn't really know existed. And, you know, it's not the case for everybody with outdoor dining. But, like, for us, we got to pick up, like, 2,000 square feet. Yeah. Like, it was huge. We we picked up the same size building on the other side of the, <laughs> of the restaurant. Like, the, the flow of the kitchen's different, but it's all the same pass and it's all the same thing it's just different so like absolutely i want that to stay um you know and i i'm sure i can speak for everybody on that the to-go cocktails thing like yeah i was gonna say if anybody from the abc ever listens to the show that's like nine episodes in a row where people have said cocktails to go so just keep it yeah and i mean the biggest thing that i kind of see in it is obviously packaging and you know safety you know obviously if someone's got comes and picks up cocktails at the restaurant to go and they elect to start drinking it in the car on their way home. Like, I mean, technically, like, 
if we were to look at it in the legal perspective, I'm the one on the hook for that still because yeah. it's from my restaurant. So like the packaging aspect of it, I totally understand. But it's like, let's not cut off our nose despite our face. Like, let's find a sensible, logical way. It's electrical taped and they took it off. Well, that's on them now. I'm I'm free and clear. Yeah. So that would be I one think- thing to kind of definitely for the ABC to look at, like keep it open, but like figure out how to divert responsibility in these situations. Like if the restaurant's doing their part, it's like the little on stickers that? on the pump at the gas station. Yeah. So you know that nobody fucked with it. Like just put that little thing over the exactly. top and then it's sealed. Yeah. But uh, I mean, like in some aspects that, you know, obviously I would like to go, obviously the mask thing, you know, that it seeing faces and seeing that aspect of people, especially in the service side of things, like I say a lot of jokes to my customers and, you know, without the facial response to it, like a joke that's kind of like comes off a little cynical or whatever, like without that smile on my face, like yeah. that joke misses completely. And they're like, this guy's a dick. <laughs> You're like, no, no, LOL, JK, yeah, JK. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. There's a giant <laughs> smile behind her. You can kind of see it in my eyes, but if this mask wasn't on, you could really see it on my face. So like, I mean, that aspect, like that interpersonal connection um, with the guest, you know, obviously I would, you know, I can't wait to kind of get back to mask being gone, but yeah. You know, no, I've heard that answer from a lot of people and it's, 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 they don't want to get rid of it because they're, you know, anti-mask and they understand the safety of it. It is that facial interaction it's, and it's those social cues that I think a lot of people are missing from restaurants. Yeah. And I mean, we got, this was in the summertime, we got roasted on Yelp by this lady and she like took a photo of our last Mohican Frank, only serve, only person on the staff since day, since day one. But the customer had asked him to take down his mask because, you know. It was an older couple. Like you could kind of see in the side of the photo, like a little gray hair in it. Mm-hmm. And the lady, and she's like, oh, he took his mask down and he doesn't care about safety and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, the customer asked him to take down his mask so they could hear him better. And then like, and then she like goes and roasts us. It's like, you got to understand, like some people that are hard of hearing, like reading lips and seeing that is like how they get by. Yeah. Like and at the end of the day, we're in the customer service. As a customer, if you feel comfortable doing what, what the customer asks you to do, at the end of the day, you're taking care of them. That's... They're calling your call to make, and that's yeah. not somebody from the peripheries call to make. If the tables are six feet apart, you know, everybody's distance, everybody's masked up, and they can't hear because of that, like, you got to kind of cut them a little slack. Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. And and I think Yelp as a whole has had a bit of a, um, a reckoning throughout this whole thing, which I'm personally not opposed to. They're never going to sponsor the show, so I don't give a shit. Yeah, so. I mean, <laughs> hey, they, they call all the time, and I'm like, nope. No money for you guys. Sorry. I disagree with everything you guys do. They're like, but our systems are great. I was like, that's cool. But, yeah, but your, your users aren't so much all yeah. the time. I should know. There's like three friends I have. They're good Yelp people. They're like the few bastion of good ones. But my feelings on it are pretty clear. Yeah, no, I like every now and again, like I kind of like, I like to go down the rabbit hole. And obviously I get the emails when they come through and everything. And honestly, it's ridiculous. Like I see an email from Yelp pop up on my phone or like a Yelp notification show up on my phone for the restaurant. I literally have a mild panic attack every time I'm like, please be good. Please be good. Please be good. Like, I don't want to deal with drama right now. Like, you know, and for the most part, everybody's been, you know, very kind and courteous as of late, but you know, there's, there's always a few, there's always a few. And you know, I I feel horrific for everybody that had the delightful name of Karen before 2020. And now that's, Oh, Your name's been ruined. God, I know so many people. It's like it's so many nicknames were come up with in 2020 completely. That's, yeah. There's nothing you can do. It's, it's yeah, I know. Uh, how does the future feel for you? I mean, again, it, it, we're not out of the woods yet, but 
you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, how do you feel? Are you optimistic? Or you said you haven't even been able to enjoy the five year anniversary yet. I mean, when do you think you'll be able to kind of exhale? Uh, honestly, never. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, that's the thing that kind of makes the business what it is. Like it's always, you're always pivoting. You're always evolving. You're always finding something new and different, whether it's a new dish, a new cocktail, a yeah. new uniform, or what, there's always something. But, um, I mean, once we kind of get back to a semblance of normalcy, like it'll be, I mean, ultimately I think all it's going to take is like a four day vacation and just get out of town and kind of detach Yeah. Um, for me to really kind of relax about it. But like, I'm very optimistic. I mean, I, I think we're on the precipice of the roaring twenties plus a hundred years. Like yeah. it's very much the same. I feel like, you know, I think this summer is going to be absolutely bonkers. I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, it's, I've, I always am, you know, whether I'm playing golf and just chatting with a dude on the course or a family friend or whatever, they're like, dude, we're, you're about to, it's about to be insane for you. And I was like, yeah, I mean, everybody's been cooped up for a year more or less. Like everybody, once they kind of take away all the restrictions and you're able to go out and do everything, everybody's going to want to get out and party and just enjoy the, you know, what's left of the year and just be like, Oh, okay. We're back to some semblance of normalcy. Like let's rage. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I, the whole world is about to be a bunch of sailors on shore leave. Yeah. It's going to be, I would say the back half of 2021 is going to be prime alcoholism and party times. (laughs) Like, and you know, especially being in the industry, like it's like, Oh yeah, let's, let's make this happen. So the year ahead, I think for everybody is going to be a great one. And I mean, so many people now, you know, real estate's pennies on the dollar. So like, I, I think we're going to just see a giant flood of restaurants, especially to the area. Like I know at one point, I think I heard like 13 restaurants in Laguna had shut down. So it's like there's 13 pieces of prime real estate that are restaurants ready to rock. Is there any fear though, that they'll be, you know, kind of corporate monoliths stepping in, or do you think that they'll be independence i mean is it is it too are people going to be too afraid to start that independent restaurant i i don't know i mean i think and i mean what kind of i think helped us get through this last year is being you know non-corporate structured like if you you know you, you can just see it in places that have you know three to five, whether it's individual restaurants or concepts, whatever it is, like they were always slow to move because you got to go through the chain of command, everything slower. So I think is the time for the independent restaurants to kind of start popping back in. And, you know, as I said, real estate market is a little soft on the commercial side. So all that or the retail side. So like everything's kind of primed for everybody to just, I mean, obviously it's at the end of the day, a cash game in those corporations, those big corporate restaurants have, nothing but disposable income. So maybe it turns that way, but I just, I think it really comes down to the cities realizing like when they're approving these people to come in, like we don't want that here. I mean, I don't know. I think there's some cities that have like some chain type bands on them or things like that. But like, I think if the cities want things to really grow, it's like, let the independence go and don't put the big thing, big box stuff in there. Like, I mean, any, any chance of a craft house too? Um, I mean, the goal I set for myself when I was 20 was five restaurants and three bars by 40. So, uh, I mean, 
So you got time. I got time. I got, you know, nine more years to get to that one. So there's definitely plans of it. I don't know exactly what it looks like, where the, you know. Well, I don't know if you've heard, but commercial real estate's pretty good right now. So Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll see. It's, it's always, you know, always been my hold up. And it was like, I'm never thinking about like, obviously I want to do that, but my goal is figure out five years yeah. and then go from there. Cause I've talked to, you know, chefs and restaurateurs and the combination of both over the years. And everybody's like, dude, I tried to open up quick. And then like my pride and joy fell apart because I was trying to do two, three, four yep. and five all at yeah, the same you lose time. Focus on the main one. So that was like one piece of advice that I got. I think that was actually from Chris Bianco. Um, when I was out there having dinner one time, he's like, dude, like do your thing for five years, figure it out. And then I think at that point he was 25 years in and he had just opened like his third spot. And it's like, you don't need to rush to market, like yeah. make sure everything's perfect and then go. So now it's kind of, now that we've hit that mark, it's like, okay, what do we do? Kind of finally turn the corner at the restaurant, you know? So it's like, okay, we can start putting my, you know, start thinking that way, but it's not, you know, in the forefront of my mind. It's definitely some way back burner. Well, after everything that happened the last year, I'm just glad you made it to five, man. Yeah. I think that's a hell of an accomplishment. And um, I think everybody who's still standing after all this should definitely be applauded for that. Uh, Blake, I don't want to take up much more of your time. You obviously have to run. You have a restaurant to prep and get ready for service tonight. Um, thank you so, so much for the time. Oh, if people want to find you on social media or the restaurant, um, where can they do that at? Um, the restaurant is Eat It Craft House, so E-A-T-A-T. Um, people always like to throw the, the ampersand in there or whatever the at thing's called. Um, but yeah, so it's on Instagram. Honestly, you could follow me on Instagram, but you will not see any content. I'm the worst. <laughs> like, like, thank God for my PR guy and our, you know, Niaz for doing all of our social media and stuff like that. Cause if that was my job, I would, we would have the worst Instagram feed ever with not knowing how to work any of it. Like, I try to stay off it as much as possible and I just get notifications like, oh, okay, cool. He put up a new post. Let's see what it's about. <laughs> no, that is true. Yeah, if you have seen their social, which, and obviously all the links will be in the show notes. Shout out to um, Niaz up at Knife and Spork PR. He does a, a great job for them and all of his other restaurant clients. Is, he's a good guy, friend of the show. He was on an early episode, so he's he's good people. So hi, Niaz. Yeah, so that's, you know, socials for the restaurant and stuff. Uh, as I said, I'm boring, so. That works. Just, just see what the restaurant does. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank right. you so much for the time. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Thank you so much to Blake for taking the time. Again, somebody that I just have the utmost respect for. He is a man that just goes about his business, gets done what needs to get done, makes damn good food while doing it. And I've never seen a frown at Craft House. I've never, ever ever seen a frown again you might see a bad yelp review because people are going to be people but you go there you experience it for yourself you're just going to have fun you're going to have a good time you're going to have a great meal you're gonna have some great drinks you're probably going to see him going in and out of the kitchen it's a good restaurant plain and simple and in a time where we've lost some good restaurants where new restaurants are going to be opening craft house is a exact staple it is what we need it is what's good in the world it works man I'm a big fan of it. Thank you so much for listening. 
Thank you to the sponsors for this show, HireLilo.com and EarlyPotage.com. You heard all about them. Be sure to check them out. Thank you to everybody that gets early ad-free listening to this on Patreon.com slash The Best Seats. You can go to TheBestSeats.com for more just like this. Go to Craft House, man. Order yourself a drink. Order yourself some food. Have a good time. I'll see you next time. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Robert McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Cheryl McCarthy, Elliot, George Pavlov, Serena Warino, Pizza Guy 92. Thank you for your support.